Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views, opinions or position of film and tvreview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. Film and tvreview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this program and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humor and language. For full terms and conditions see filmandtvreview.com. Hello there, and welcome to our Film and TV Review end of year special. So it's been quite an interesting year, 2023. Um, I'm joined by usual regular hosts, uh, James, Richard and Alfonso today. And we're going to be just uh, highlighting what caught our attention this year, both on TV and film. So uh, we'll just kick off then. Um, Alfonso. Hi, Alfonso. Um, hey. So what, it's been quite an interesting year today. So what caught your eye, both the highlights and the lowlights across film and TV? Well, I, I think <laughs> if we talk about cinema going this year, I think we have to talk about the the big event of the year, which has, which has been Oppenheimer, I mean, Barbie, Barbie Heimer or, <laughs> but I, I I I saw both. I like both, and and I and I, I did it in separate days because I thought it was too much <laughs> to just do a double feature. But I I liked Oppenheimer uh, quite a bit. I thought it was one of the best Nolan movies, and just sprawling and. Uh, like two movies into one, and and uh, both interesting, good editing. I wasn't bored in the three hours that it lasted, and it was really good. But I wanted to mention mostly Barbie because it could have been such a mess or such a just um, publicity for Mattel, and it turned out to be something really special. And I think the the audience kind of responded to it, the box office. 
I thought Greta Gerwig really did something special. Yeah. And, and I, she took uh, a toy and made it a whole existential journey about this toy who wants to know or connects with a human and becomes more and more human as the, as the movie progresses. And it also mixes gender discussion very playfully. It was all the time, it was entertaining, while at the same time, it made you think. It, it could go from the most superfluous to the most um, thoughtful in a second and just treated, treated it all as, a, as if it was a joke. In the end, it got really emotional. It got a killer. It has a killer soundtrack. Also, not only the it was not only a film, but also a soundtrack that nominated the year, and it will probably have at least two songs. I think it, the most you can have is two songs, so it will have. I think it will have two songs nominated for the Oscars. Mm. Of course, the Billy Eilish one, and maybe the Dua Lipa one, or the Ryan Gosling I Am Ken. Yes. Oh, I'm just, I'm just Ken. I think uh, it, I found this. I mean, I went in London when we were watching it. It was a packed audience, which I hadn't seen for at least two or three years. And even before COVID, I mean, these really event films and any people dressing up and all that. It was definitely. It was just good to see that. Um, but that film in itself, I I thought it was as much a Ken film as it was a Barbie film. That's Ryan Gosling. It was. It was almost like his journey. As in someone a repressed accessory to Barbie, then finding his own identity. So that it was quite, you know, it wasn't just a for those who haven't seen it, it's just not just a Barbie Barbie movie. It's actually more about emancipation, if if you want to put that into yeah. it. But, um, yeah, yeah. You, they always when you talk about the the it it was very very intelligent from Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach when they did the the script to to give way to can because it's like it's it's impossible if you want to talk about gender it's impossible to just talk about one them and it's it, it's a, a smart play for audiences especially if you go on a date or if you want to attract some male audience to a barbie movie to to, to feature the, the male the male perspective in a sense i mean it's it's all kind of like uh, because ken doesn't go into the into the journey that Barbie goes into so he doesn't kind of I mean he at the end he has kind of a realization of some some sort but it's not he he's more like the comic relief most of the movie yeah the brilliant comic relief I mean I was laughing when he he discovers the the real world and how how men are are in the real world the situation uh, as opposed to the, the his situation in Barbie land it was so funny. And, and it made it was a, a very very uh, like entertaining way to talk about gender and roles and dynamics. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, any thoughts from Richard or James on that? Well, uh, well, I absolutely agree with what what I think. Anything Alfonso has said, um, and yeah, I think it the 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 smartest thing that movie has done is indeed. Uh, not forgetting the <laughs> the male audience, let's say, um, 
because that could have been actually a huge mistake nowadays actually try actually to make a movie for women etc but uh to show there's actually a message at the end to show actually that the relationship is two people and uh not only one and actually that you have to understand actually both where they're coming from etc i thought it was smart uh I wasn't excited as much as other people about this movie before and after watching it, to be honest. I think it's I, I think it's just a fine line between trying to be taken seriously and trying to not be taken seriously. I don't know how to explain that, but <clears throat> it feels sometimes like a, a parody, like a pastiche of something else. Sometimes he wants to be extremely serious and he does it very well. But uh, in my opinion, yeah, sometimes it kind of loses me uh, by trying to raise important issues and trying to hide these things behind a wall of music and uh, almost Bollywood performances, etc. So I don't know. It, it wasn't meant for me, maybe, but I can see the relevance of the movie anyway. So, yeah. Thanks. Okay, uh, James, if you want to, yeah. So I mean, I, I I really loved it. Um, it's probably my well, it's sort of in my top five, I think, of of the year. I actually feel slightly differently to Richard that I come out of it thinking, I think we said, oh, it's okay, but it's it's not a home run or something. You said, mm-hmm. and I sort of agree with that. But when I when I rewatched it, I think I liked it even more. Actually, I think there was a lot of there's a lot of big jokes in there, and there's a lot of smaller, more nuanced jokes. And actually, sometimes on the initial showing, I missed that nuance joke in the middle, or I was laughing so hard at the previous joke that it, it sort of overlapped. So I think it's it's definitely one of the best scripts of the year. Um, I think, as well as Barbie and Ken, I think this film is almost in a way, America Ferreira's um, film, just as much as it is Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling. And I'd really like to sort of see her get some recognition, maybe for supporting actress at at next year's Oscars. Um, It was just a massive event as well. And I think it is one of those films that, I mean, we should always just enjoy a film for what it is and our personal relationship to it. But it is great when you've got those things that really resonate with an audience, you know, much as I I love the creator and I think Richard's going to talk about that later, I was kind of a little bit bummed by the the sort of response to it that was quite muted or just the lack of any response, not even a bad response. So it's really good to see something like this that just goes massive. I mean, to the point that I was a bit annoyed because a couple of weeks later, I wanted to go and see films, other films at the cinema other than Barbie and Oppenheimer again. Um, And the cues were just something that I'd never seen since, like the opening weekend of Endgame. Like, but it, it stayed as well. It really like stayed for about a month before it died down. And I forgot about the dressing up thing that you turned up and people were in pink. I ac- I genuinely accidentally went to watch it in a pink T-shirt. And I was like, hey, cool. I've turned up and I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of dressed up for this as part of the thing. I think it would be, I've got to say in terms of the soundtrack, the Dua Lipa song is a banger, but I think it would be really good to see I'm Just Ken and... Uh, what was I made for by um, Billie Eilish nominated because I think they really tap into the themes of the song, particularly the Billie Eilish one in a way, because when I heard that prior to seeing the film, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a good song. But when it comes in right at the end of the film, you go, this is 
perfect. It feels like it's really written for that song, not not just shooed in. Um, production design is is fantastic as well. It's just a very funny film. Really taken back by how on the nose some of the sort of jokes are at Mattel's expense as well. And apparently the story goes that they had a lot of notes and a lot of questions for Greta, um, Greta Gerwig, but they didn't, they never sort of overwrote, overwrote her and said, no, you can't do that. You can't pull it in, but they just queried stuff. And I can't think it, it might've been on this chat. I was, so, I was speaking to someone, they said, actually in a way, maybe they've made Barbie sort of relevant again for a new generation, because there's maybe a feeling that, that it's sort of an old property, but I think it's, it's um it's reinvigorated that but i think as well it's it's a film that's sort of about nostalgia and celebrating it but it's also looking at the weirdness of nostalgia which i think is a very apt thing i think that's really where we're at as like a culture you know in the west at the moment where we've got all these really big nostalgic things and i love a bit of nostalgia but i also think sometimes it's a bit weird um but yeah i thought it was um a really fun playful sort of film and the joke we won't ruin the joke but the joke um that you mentioned richard which is a voiceover by helen mirren it's hilarious <laughs> it's definitely one of the biggest laughs in there yeah. so yeah really, really good sort of playful film i think well uh yeah i think i agree that was probably one of the event <clears throat> cinema experiences of the year um Did we just Jason's frozen? So I don't know if we're <laughs> or he's really <laughs> thinking about Barbie. Yeah, we, oh, we, we, we are losing you, Jason. We lost you. Now we got, you got back. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it was okay. So, um, of course, yeah. Well, yes, obviously, Barbie was a uh, you know took the audiences um, uh, by storm, uh, but it was shared by uh, on an opening weekend with something. Uh, was Christopher Nolan's great uh, latest um, entry, which was um, Oppenheimer. So again, it was just a uh, you know almost diametrically opposed, but uh, I think both did really well on the Mac. Alfonso, of course, you watched Oppenheimer as you mentioned. So what was your view of that, and did it really make your my critics were obviously applauding it? But what did you think? Uh, was it really worthy of the praise? Yeah, yeah, I think it is a very good. I mean, uh, it is uh, without going into the morals of the story or any or the, or the character. I think it is a very good, well edited film, so that you are always into the story. It it moves. The, the pace is fast, the, the facts are interesting, it's full of stars. Um, it, the, the music is relentless, take it or leave it, the sound as well, that is Nolan. And, and the, 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 the part of the, of the trial was also, um, I was all, all the time entertained, interested in what it was happening. And uh, I thought it got it had a good conclusion. So, yeah, it was a good movie overall. Yeah, yeah. I kind of yeah, I I thought it was a good two hour movie. Unfortunately, we did have this third hour to it, which was a courtroom drama, which I felt didn't quite match up to the high stakes drama as uh, compared to the initial two 
hours, which is really kind of a story of a, a race against uh, the, you know, opposing nations in actually creating an atomic uh, weapon, um, certainly in World War Two. So um, it didn't really then to go to segue into this courtroom drama, which which has been interesting in itself, but it kind of felt like, well, it's not really, this is more, a, you know, a vindication or kind of like a revenge on a, um, Oppenheimer when all egos and and their place in the hierarchy of actually the fallout on the pun on on politically and academically um, around this project. So I felt it would have been served then better as a maybe a drama series then really if it's that's the format. I, I mean really um, two hours is, it is magnificent. Yes, the music is relenting, but I guess that's his his style really but I, I think it added I think it really did well in this story uh, but um great performance by a, a central uh performance um but Robert Downey Jr also does yeah. a lot of lifting in the third part but again yeah it it's worthy of the praise but I, I do feel it was a good two-hour movie but unfortunately there was this third act which didn't quite do it for me but um actually i think that i think that robert Downey jr is the problem this movie actually but that answers your first um your first complaint let's say uh jason what i mean is that i believe that actually that if you remove completely his character from the movie mm. the movie movie would have been better yeah. it would have been shorter yeah. And I'm not sure that actually it would have been is super useful in this movie, to be honest. We could have followed actually the the journey of Oppenheimer before and after uh, the test, uh, before after Manhattan Project. We could have seen him being persecuted, let's say, or etc. But I'm not sure that we really needed actually the point of view of uh, what was his name, Strauss, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah I, I'm not, I don't think it's not against. Uh, or better than junior performance, but uh, he, he did a great job, Danny Junior. But um, it's just his character; I wasn't really a fan of. Uh, I was maybe, maybe yeah, but maybe it would have solved the problem of the length of the movie. But yeah, oh I'm... yeah, if you wanna if you wanna take out that part of the story, that's <laughs> that, would, that would have a lot. Yeah. That would have a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I and I'm well, I don't know, but uh, you know, it's in like two months from now, but. It would it would be surprising for me if uh, Cian Murphy didn't win the Oscar. I don't know because it's it's a kind of um, I understated kind of not very showy perf performance. Yeah, say. but look at his filmography. I mean, he's been around in this business for a very long time, so it yeah. will, it will make sense because sometimes the Academy wants to reward more of a career than a performance. I don't know. If you see how how showy he can be in other roles, uh, you you can you kind of appreciate the restraint in Oppenheimer because yeah. he can be the the opposite. Yeah. But uh, just by that performance, I think uh, I would say that, for example, Bradley Cooper has a much more showier showier role in Maestro. Or by thinking about the career, Paul Giamatti in the Holdovers could be another good career choice, let's say. Mm -hmm. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? 
Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Okay. Uh, James, what did you, uh, as the uh, final verdict, as it's a split jury, I would say, what did you, you know, think? All, opinion, all opinions are valid. I will say, though, like when you were saying, oh, let's all have different opinions, you're making it quite easy for me because I think I disagree <laughs> with everybody on this. Um, and I think in terms of the Oscars, I don't want to talk too much about that because I suppose we'll do that nearer the time. But I think it would be quite good if they, they probably recognise Barbie and Oppenheimer if they want to be seen as like a big award ceremony where people have heard of the films. Because I think they went through a few years of having films that nobody had heard of. I think it would be good if Barbie and Oppenheimer were were quite well rewarded or awarded um, like they did with Everything Everywhere all at once last year. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I, I've tried this year not to complain too much about the length of films. I know you could probably play me back bits of the podcast when that's all I'm so, talking about. But I think if a good if a film is good, then it's good and you don't mind how long it carries on. So if it's if when usually when people complain about the length, sometimes it's because they feel the film the film isn't very good, which is fine, you know. But I think actually the third hour is the best hour of this. So I think that the start of the third hour is when you get the Trinity test, which is is superb. And I really like the courtroom stuff, the sort of um and, and Nolan does describe this as a heist movie and a courtroom drama, apparently. But I think that point of where he's been in the Communist Party, where he's had communist sort of leanings and sympathies, and that was fine, apparently, a few years ago, but now the climate has changed and they don't like that or they're, they're using that against him. Um, I think you can see parallels with what happens now sometimes when, I don't know what the term is, but when people dig around for things on the people have posted on social media 15 years ago and they go, it doesn't quite fit what we what we would talk about now, or what we would say is acceptable to joke about now. You can sort of see parallels, parallels with that. Um, I really like Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in this. I think uh, Matt Damon, though, is really good. I think either of those would have a good chance of being nominated for um, supporting actor. I know they don't generally like to nominate actors against each other in that <clears throat> that um, category, but I really like it. I think it's his best, I was going to say it's his best performance post Iron Man, but apart from Doolittle, it's probably his only performance post <laughs> Iron Man, isn't it? So I love you, Robert, but, you know. Um, but I, I, I sort of like that. I think Killian Murphy is fantastic. Um, I mean, he's on screen, screen a lot. When I think about this movie, I kind of think about Robert Downey Jr. in black and white and it being very talky. But when I watched the trailer again the other night, so this sort of refreshing my memory, it is a, it's such a visual film. There's such brilliant visuals in it. And seeing it at the cinema, it was, I think you do get something from it. And the sound design is fantastic. The fact that when the, um, the, the decision that they make when the Trinity bomb goes off and what they do with the sound at that point, I think is, is really good. It's not, per I mean, in some ways it's not perfect, but I think in a year where we've been worried about AI and things, I've kind of liked that imperfection in films sometimes, that it feels like it's 
made by a human being with a particular sort of framing and a particular thing that they're interested in. Someone did say um, that there was a lot of women that worked on this project, and that isn't really reflected in the film. There is a bit where Emily Blunt approaches uh, Killian Murphy's Robert Oppenheimer at a party and basically says, um, oh, could you explain quantum physics for me? Because it hurts my poor little brain. And I did kind of laugh at that. Like That feels feels like a little bit clumsy or a little bit of a, an oversight. But I really, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think what you said, Jason, about them being too, that and Barbie being completely opposed films, sort of completely different films, really. Mm. And to, but, to both be released on the same weekend seemed good. And I think it is Nolan's best film since Inception as well. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, for the record, if I, if I may say something actually about that, I think that if any studio in the future wants to try again to have two movies, I mean, two studios want to try to have two movies read at the same time, they definitely need to be very different from one, one another. <laughs> because I'm thinking that's the reason why it worked, I think. If it was like two family f- movies or two women girly movies, etc., or two drama about historical figures, I don't think it would have worked to me. I think it actually just shows that there's still it's quite an appetite for a good film, good writing, good word of mouth on that. And that's what <clears throat> seems to drive audiences um and pass it through the finishing line in, in, in box office terms. But uh it, it's great. There was a you can show the audiences are are out there and depending on even though as diverse more adult oriented material and more kind of like more blockbuster friendly material and ip friendly so but uh it it, it was good it wasn't seen as competition but they come embrace each other as in to celebrate you know going and, and a lot of crossing of audiences as well so it, it was one of those events that happened and it was everyone kind of won in the end currently for both audiences and filmmakers but Quite of a highlight. Um, Alfonso, so you also did pick another highlight from your list that you submitted. Was uh, we'll talk about TV in shortly, but you did mention Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that was quite a yeah. A, you that was one of your highlights, and you 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 did put it as yeah, because yeah. I think it's had one of the things that are important in these Marvel films is. Uh, a good, a good buddy, a good bad guy. I mean, not a good in a in a moral sense, but just a well realized and interesting to follow bad guy. And I thought the the bad guy of Guardians of the Galaxy three and 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 all that was revolving around that guy was pretty good. Also, the the family of of the the animals that was were. Um, the oh, I, I, what, what's the name of the raccoon? Uh, Rocket, 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 Bradley Cooper, Bradley yeah. Cooper, yeah. Well, Bradley Cooper came from Rocket. Uh, those were really it made me feel feelings <laughs> during those scenes of the of the animal characters, uh, and that, and also that the kind of weirdness that that surrounds this franchise which has this little weird touches all around it made it feel less plasticky less uh franchisey less you know like the the things that make are some make some marvel films more boring to me 
yeah. James Gunn did with this one, did it more, created characters that were feeling more, that were more alive, that had uh, inner inner worlds more. And also, I, 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 it made the contrast with the heroes feel more interesting overall. So I could follow better their adventures when there were these weird things and 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 slave animals <laughs> and 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 a, and, a, and a guy that was real bad but also had a conflict inside uh, and had a, a this relationship with rocket throughout the 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 flashbacks oh no it made it it made for a for a good drama really a good action film and the the whole and also the the action sequences were really good and the the world the the creative the the world that was the different spaces uh, planets that were shown so it was a, a whole lot of things that made a, a movie feel like something special in Marvel which doesn't happen a lot these days mm-hmm. and and when something is special in Marvel is is like a real real nice film because it has a lot of uh, a good budget and lots of imagineering and uh, inter- lots of characters too so it was a film that i really enjoyed i guess a, a fun farewell from uh, james gunn to the marvel uh, cinematic universe um james richard uh, you concur is it uh, yeah uh, I 100% concur with anything Alfonso said. Uh, I, I can sum it up going very quick by saying just that, in a way, why this movie in the MCU phase five, six, or whatever works and not the other ones is because I actually cared about what's happening on screen. <laughs> That's how I sum it up. I actually care about these characters. I actually care about the plot. I actually care about what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. And uh, I couldn't care less about a lot of things in the Marvel's Cinematic Universe uh, this year and last year. Uh, in my lowlights, I mentioned Ant-Man, which was like the opposite of Garden Galaxy in so many ways. Uh, there was also some TV shows that were actually terrible. So yeah, it, it, James Gunn did with this trilogy uh, what a lot of uh, directors and producers in the, in Marvel seems to uh i was about to say cannot do but also seem to have forgotten how to do with things to be honest which is focusing on again on the characters and uh, understand what character developments mean and uh and also like uh, i also was saying uh having believable villain uh having believable believable stakes and uh and yeah, and uh, accept, accepting actually that there is an end to anything. And I think uh, these characters have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And although there is an unnecessary uh, post credit scene, as usual in this movie, uh, I think the journey of all the characters has come to an end. And it's the proper end. It's very well done. Uh, I was like, Alfonso was getting sometimes emotional about the story of the flashback of uh, Rocket Raccoon, but also getting emotional by the end because it's like farewells by by most of them. And uh, yeah, I think it's, yeah. It's crazy because I'm talking like it's 
something extraordinary to know how to write character developments nowadays. But and it shouldn't be something extraordinary. It should be like like a no-brainer. It should be a normal job for any writer or director. But that's the current state of the Marvel Disney stuff is that when someone does a normal good job, we should actually point it out and celebrate it. Um, but yeah, I I hope that some of the people will follow it, uh, James Gunn example, but I don't think so. Yeah, well, I, I kind of uh, agree. Um, it, it was it was um, yeah, it's a good in its kind of almost in its standalone way, which these films were best as. But I was glad that this was the last one. I it, it, I actually did feel that it was time to put these characters to bed, and, and it was almost. Um, that was part of the it felt like a good farewell and it should be and it should stay like that if only but uh well no we'll see but um i, I guess well we would stick a bit to those other types that you mentioned as in just as we're in the marvel universe i i do agree with you ant-man definitely a low light i think it just shows <clears throat> how bloated sometimes these thing projects are and uh, a bit directionless um, I'll mention Marvels, which came out later in the year, which was actually not a bad film, but um, I, it, it seems that they, it seems a, a tainted name almost, Marvel, or people have just tired of that whole Marvel cinematic universe as of late. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year with the MCU output. I know there's not much coming out, but still it'll be interesting to see what they do with that IP. Right. Um, uh, Francis, you did mention some TV highlights as well. Um, you did mention um, The Last of Us. Now, that was yeah. quite a big event the start. It uh, was. I think um, it was the biggest event TV-wise of the year. Yes. That and the end of Succession, yes. maybe? Yes. So, <laughs> The Last of Us had everyone commenting on it. It was, it was that well thought out drama which also had great action and horror uh, it had a little bit for everyone and it didn't uh worry about just spending one episode with a story of two gay men in the apocalypse for example it was or or it, it was it had its own pace like Mm, HBO did let uh, the showrunner very much creative freedom, and and they trusted him, and it it came out very well. I mean, it it was it it was fulfilling from a drama standpoint, and from also uh, the action. Uh, you and you were. At, uh, for for that reason, you were waiting for the action or waiting for the drama. You just took it as it came, and uh, in the end, you were rewarded the whole time because you kind of it kind of felt real. Uh, the the relationships be, um, between these characters and and this kind of hopeless world where they lived in, and they are trying to find a solution for this. Uh, you, you and it was yeah. It, it took you to another world, full of fungus, a fungi, or whatever it's the the plural of that thing. 
and um, and uh, yeah, and I'm waiting for part for like the the second game and <laughs> the second season. Yeah, it'll be quite interesting. Yes, um, <clears throat> definitely, it was a series where it actually broke through to having a great translation from the movie game from the movie the narrative and that which was one of those best standout games and because you've got a the actual creative team and writer involved in book from the game in the actual series which helped it a lot and actually just brought out all the strengths of that narrative it's a kind of narrative um strongly uh, a narrative strong game the last of us so um <clears throat> Yeah, uh, Richard, you uh, put that as your highlight also. I think you, Last of Us. Again, it was definitely one of those events for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, I think in the also in the previous chat that we had, uh, we talked about uh, video game ad- video game adaptations, and uh, and I, I I think actually that uh, the Last of Us is kind of uh, it will be remembered in my opinion as a. Uh, Maybe a turning point uh, in that regards is that actually that uh, you can do you can do video game adaptations in a good way. Well, obviously the source material was already very good; it was a very good game, uh, but looked already very uh, uh, cinematic. If I can that word, it was almost like a big movie, but you were actually uh, controlling the main character. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, if you use money in a very wise way and uh, if you had the right p- person behind and in front of the camera you can do great stuff with video game adaptations and last of us is a great example uh, i'm not going to repeat what afonso was saying but yes it's uh, it's true that uh, although it was a kind of a mini series of what six or eight episodes uh they spend time uh, to actually to go uh uh, first of all, to focus on the main characters, but also to actually to develop some supporting characters. Yes, he mentioned obviously an episode about the relationship of uh, uh, two uh, two guys, uh, and that was amazing. But also even the the short uh, character development of uh, of uh, his lady friend, who I forgot the actress name now, <laughs> who died. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, who was she was in in Fringe and I loved Fringe, but I can't remember the name of the actress. But anyway, but no, even, I can't. Right yeah, now. it's all right. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it, it it's a very well done thing. I mean, I, I was not, I, I I was a bit pessimistic when this project was announced, not because it was video game adaptation, but because I was thinking perhaps we have too many zombies on screen. <laughs> the Walking Dead was ending after eleven years. We had two or three spin-ups of this thing, or even four spin-ups. I was thinking, is it that bit too much? But apparently people were fine with it. Uh, and also, I wanted just to say that uh, Bella Ramsey is such a good actress. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. She's great. In, she was in a thing called Time this year as well with Jodie Whittaker, and uh, that, that was really good, where she plays like a convict. Yeah. I think Excellent in Game of Thrones, she must have like, perhaps, I don't know, all in all together, 30 minutes on screen on all seasons, and every time he's on screen, she's killing it. Mm. So yeah, a good 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 thing for 
HBO to get this woman actually work for them because she's yeah, they, great even extend years to be honest. They got they they got critics because they wanted the that the, the look of the game and Bella Ramsey doesn't have the look of the actress of, I mean the, the character in the game but 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 you know they got the better actress. Yeah, they, yeah. they were rewarded for it. Hundred percent. Well, that was um, one of the video game adaptations that came out this year uh, on the screen. But there was another one that actually did quite well on the big screen, and that would be a Super Mario. Uh, James, you uh, <laughs> picked that as a highlight of one of the years, certainly. Uh, Super did Mario. Yes, I'm going to leave the group now. I'm going to leave the chat since uh, since people are saying that I like this film. Um, is it seriously I, in your top five? No, it is not in my top. It's oh, in my okay. top five worst films of the year. God damn it! <laughs> look, I'm. I, I feel like it, sometimes I feel like a bit of a Scrooge, and I did check myself after I was ranting about this film, thinking, "Well, maybe it's not for me. That's fine." But you know, Wonka wasn't for me, and that's a really good film. I really enjoyed that. I think so. Obviously, I'm a child. I grew up through the 80s and 90s, and I love Super Mario Brothers. And this is a very different era of gaming from what Richard's talking about. So all these things like The Last of Us, they've got very good stories that are written into them that are almost like films. And you're watching the cutscenes, and, you know, they're very playable, but they've also got these stories. Super Mario was never like that. Super Mario was just a thing where you're jumping about. It's one of the most playable games of all time. It's fantastic. There's been so many variations of it, Mario Kart. So I went in to watch this film. I was really excited. Um, and then it started. And I just realized that this is not really a film. This is just like a collection of Easter eggs and like a checklist that have been put in. I mean, so the plot is basically Plumber needs to get his brother back, if you're looking at it like that. The, the casting makes no sense. So you've got... You've got Chris Pratt and Anna Taylor-Joy, wonderful actors. You know, really loved Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I think Chris Pratt's brilliant. But he's just sort of chosen for this because he's a big-name star that they can put on the poster. I did hear someone talking about this saying, I had a bit of a theory that because the 90s film with Bob Hoskins was such a disaster, they were just so scared about taking any risks on this film. And to be honest, but taking no risks paid off. It's the second biggest film uh, worldwide this year although barbie which is also an ip did better which i'm very pleased about because it feels like there is some ideas and thoughts in that film but i think one of the things that really annoyed me in this is like i've never questioned all the years playing mario why why the blocks are floating that you jump across because it's a platform game but in here they have to have a, a, a line of dialogue of why are that why are the platform why are the blocks floating it's like <laughs> i haven't cared for 30 years why are we doing this um, even the song, I mean, Jack Black is is very well cast as Bowser, but even the song, uh, which got into the top <laughs> top 30 over here called Peaches, which just involves him singing Peaches, 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 Peaches over and over again. <laughs> it's almost like if there were three really funny songs, really funnily written songs in that film, and then the third or fourth one was just Peaches, Peaches, Peaches over and over. You kind of go, okay, that's sort of what the joke is. But it does feel like Jack Black has just phone that in like he's like i've been hired i can just get away with saying peaches over and over again no one's going to question this because nobody cares i um, like the song i have to say i like the song it's I all like right that. to be honest it's the best i think it's the best thing about the film but um <laughs> it, it just feels like there's nothing remotely 
I, I just can't, I, words just define me. I've spoken about it for longer than I can I can care about. <laughs> the only thing I the only thing that I'm quite pleased of is I, I had to get this out, and I think I wrote in a long thing and ranted it in the group, and then I um, emailed that to the Komodo Mayo show, and they read it out. So I was quite pleased that my rant got got read out on um, on that. But um, yeah, it, it just feels like it. Weirdly, I wouldn't mind seeing a sequel because I don't think they can get away with doing the same thing again of like having no plot. Oh, yeah. and, oh yes, they can. Just being... Yes, they can. It did well. Phenomenally well. One of the big and hits. It's fine to have yeah. things aimed at children, but like I haven't seen the Paw Patrol movies, but I bet they've got better plots. Like it, it. So there was that that it felt like. And when you think about the Sonic the Hedgehog films, they're not great films, but at least they kind of made a film using that property. Um, but uh, like they sort of turned it into something. Whereas this just feels like it is just a collection of Easter eggs. Like you're just watching someone play play the game. But do you know what? It's not even in my top two least favorite films of the year. So, <laughs> oh wow, some heavy competition is here. But before we do that, if we... people love the film, I'm not going to hate. I'm not going to hate anybody that loves the film. If you found something you liked about it, good for you. But I was bitterly disappointed by this film. My, my niece, my niece loved it, so that's the reason why. How I'm old is she? Yeah, but, and 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 she's like <laughs> she was twelve. She was twelve when it was released, <laughs> so it was perfect for her. So yeah, Jeez. I think well, it looks. Pretty, pretty like the animation. I haven't watched the film. Yeah, actually. do you know but what the animation, animation looks from the outside? Looks so pretty, so nice. And I think that is that's probably why it's not one of the. When I was looking at my least favorite films of the year, and Expendables Four isn't even in the top three. That's how much I dislike this. But I think the Saving Grace is the style of animation. Like they haven't messed that up. Mm. But I'm kind of like over it. Like. Like ten years ago, I might or fifteen years ago, I might have been impressed by that. But it's like we know you can do this now. Like in nineteen ninety one, that wasn't an option. But like five years later, after Toy Story, it was. But you know, it's fine if kids enjoy it. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shout through people's letterboxes that they should turn the film off. It's Fair not for you then. But uh, yeah, well, box office wise, so the public will be a sequel on the way very soon. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, um. That's from a low, but I think we can go back to a high, as uh, Fonso mentioned, and Richard, I think, was a big fan, and this is the high, and that was Succession. Yes. So, how uh, was it this season? Yeah, now? so I'm going to try to talk about Succession without getting any spoilers away. Sure. Uh, I'm going to be careful. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think Succession is, yeah. Um, some people call it one of the best TV show ever made. I don't know. Perhaps uh, it's possible. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I understand the arguments. Um, so to sum up what Succession is for anyone who doesn't even know, which is surprising because it's now becoming every year extremely popular. Um, it's kind of like Dallas. <laughs> I was comparing this <laughs> with Dallas from the 70s, 80s with my sister when I tried to convince her to watch it because she's a little older than me, so she knew more Dallas than me. In a way that it's, uh, it's a story of a family, and I'd say actually it's more important the family part than anything else. It's a story about a family who is extremely rich. When I say extremely rich, I'm talking about billions of billions of dollars. Um, and the 
other, who is the founder of a huge company that is perhaps even bigger than Amazon in this world, uh, played by Brian Cox, who is extremely uh, amazing, so much actually that you hate him every time he talks, so that's a good sign. Um, he's, so he's, he's the father, and, and uh, he has four children, who are obviously the four potential uh, heirs to the throne, let's say. Uh, and um, three of them out of four, literally over the course of four seasons, will very nice and always respectfully try to fight each other mm. to become the official heir and to take the place of Brian Cox. That's how I can sum it up. Um, in order of, in my opinion, importance and screen time, you have Kendall as a child. I'm talking about Kendall, played by Jeremy Strong, who is phenomenal, in my opinion. He perhaps is the main character of the story, actually. Um, Jeremy Strong. And when I watched this show, I was thinking, where did I see Jeremy Strong before? And I remember that I watched him in the big short in a supporting role. Actually, now uh, I say that it's not surprising because if I'm not mistaken, the big short is either directed or produced by Adam McKee, who produces also succession. Directed, yeah. Directed, thank you. Um, then you have uh, his sister, played by Sarah, Sarah Snook, who's been, I think, also been recognized uh, in some, in Emmys or whatever in the past, but anyway. And the third one, there's a fourth one, but it doesn't really matter. He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> just not very important in the story of the firm, but he's there. The third one is played by Kieran Culkin, who played like the youngest of the children and the youngest one who curse a lot, like in every single sentence he curse and is, I mean, they curse all of them curse all the time. So I'm sorry if you are scared. I would say maybe it's a R-rated TV show for that reason. But uh, he is the one who's cursed maybe the most. He's extremely also um, sarcastic, but also actually not very nice to anyone who talks to him. Uh, but he's also a very insecure kid, maybe one of, the, if not the most insecure of the three. Um, and yeah, it, it, overall, yeah, there's a lot of business talks, et cetera, et cetera, about how the company works and the laws and the, the, the high end laws about this company. But the main thing is this, is how the founding father is literally controlling his children and try to use them almost against each other to make sure that first he remains in power and second that they become, in his opinion, and I insist on his opinion, the best version of themselves. So he makes sure actually that someone actually when he dies, the one who actually will take over will be the best version of themselves in his opinion, which means actually kind of like him. That's how I see it. And I would compare this with, in a way, with a king and how he behaves with people around him. And that's how I felt watching this TV show, is that actually you see someone who is one of the most powerful men in the world, literally. There are some scenes where actually you can see that actually the, the president of the United States is literally almost... Uh, kind of, uh, it needs him 
not the other way around, which is crazy. Um, so you have this king played by Brian Cox, and you have the three children trying anything they can to get closer to the king. And that's actually what real kingdom looked like in the 17th or 16th century. But actually, people were actually doing crazy things just to have the favors of the king. And that's how it feels like most of the time. And uh, yeah. So yeah, to sum it up, that's how I can say that we are the supporters. Uh, that's what Succession is. And why it's amazing is because I kept talking about character developments because I believe that's the core of a very long story. I think that it's important that a, a character, when he starts a story at point A and ends a story at point Z, he must have seen different obstacles and he must have been end up being a different person. And that's true for every single character on Succession. Not only the main characters that I mentioned, but also supporting characters. Um, it's yeah, it's really well done. Writing, the writing is perfect. The cast is for each one of them is doing an amazing job, even when they are not in front of the screen. Let's say in the back, they are always uh, uh, delivering. Uh, and. Uh, to finish on a note about this special season that ends the show, because the show is finally uh, has ended with the season four. Um, the season four was the perfect conclusion, in my opinion. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Yeah. Oh no, almost, almost, I know, I know, I mean, I know it's divisive. For some people, the last 30 minutes of the show, but I, I think it's perfect conclusion. Uh, and I think that I think it's episode five or six. And I said I won't get those two spoilers, but it's an episode about a wedding for anyone who's listening and is going to watch this. This is perhaps one of the best episodes of any TV show I've ever seen in my life because of the acting of the cast. So I will leave it this way, but yeah, that's that's my opinion. Um, yes. Um, did anyone else see Succession? James, did you or I have. Season- I, I've, I've, I've binged season one, and the other seasons are on my um, watch list. Is it? Was this the fourth and final season? Is yeah, that yeah. Right? this is the ending. So, yeah. It has already. I, ended. Yeah, I thought the um, it's just got that classic. Um, it was interesting actually, sort of Richard, the way you were framing that with like getting close to the king and things, but. I mean, it it just strikes me as one of those things where it's it's that thing of you know money's great, but money doesn't actually buy you happiness. And actually, in this instance, whereas usually your family would be there to back you up, I think this is something that I notice in a lot of uh, particularly music biopics as well. Is when you're successful, suddenly your family aren't people that you can rely on anymore because they just see you as money or a commodity and there's that kind of element with this so i thought it was yeah very watchable and kind of makes you please not to have us spend a lot of time wishing i had more money and you watch this and go 
I'm all right with them. It's it's not only about about money. It's that this father, which I think they are reportedly based, uh, I mean, more or less, on um, the Rupert, Rupert, Rupert Murdoch family, uh, that because it's a media empire, and this father is has severely deprived their children of affection in uh, different ways <laughs> and they have been neglected in a sense the, the 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 relationship of the father with them is something that has caused them to grow up with different uh, lackings of like uh, things that they 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 have with all, all of them have a relationship with their father that is not completely healed or not healed at all And uh, they, although they progress through the seasons, you feel that thing that their father is always pulling the strings, as Richard said, but, but because he uh, never surrenders his affection to any of them without any kind of counter thing of like, uh, he always like plays them. And it's it's something that I don't know if it has to do so much with money and power. Well, I mean, with power, of course, but not so. I don't know if, if with money. This uh, a very severely uh, um, l low quality father, I would say. It's not his. His has mixed it all, and he has created this kind of game of succession for his children. And it's he he just feelings or normal fatherhood of what we consider modern fatherhood is nothing that he cares about. It, he's he has uh, you you see the the, the his children the, the four children uh, uh, and the the, the the show does a very good job of showing how it has affected each one of them how each one of them has. Uh, requires not only the to be the the head the hair of the of the of the company but how it also that gives them the being the the love the, the loved one of of the father and it's always like that's why you see these adults having these kind of children behaviors sometimes of Children who are still waiting for that father to love them, and to so for them to to uh, father the father loves the company above all things. So mm. it's very difficult for them to disentangle one thing from another, from the other because they want to be loved uh, as much as they want to be ruling the the company. Sometimes they, it's it's understandable, I guess. It's true. Thanks. Um, well, uh, that was um, probably a quite a heavy recommendation from everyone there for um, succession support. Um, of course, um, there was some other highlights in the cinema. Of course, there was uh, another, well, let's say another theme of family running strong in another franchise. Um And it's probably a low light, maybe, but maybe it was, of course, we had Fast and Furious, latest entry, another theme of family, which is strong in its... Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, 
This is a one much, of the highlights, strangely enough, uh, Richard. Um, it is a much healthier family relationship than succession. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. That's, that's, a, good point. that's a very good point. Good point for Alfonso. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, at least, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I think that's, this has had a bit of a roller coaster in its old series of entries. It's had some confines over the last, God knows how long it's been going on, but 10, 20 years, who knows. But uh, five, six, probably highlight. And this one is, it, it, it's, um, I don't know, you can take it or leave it. It's, uh, it's a very, uh, there, I think there is a, going to be a neck, 22 years. Yeah, I think someone just been, so it is. Um, we've got one more entry, I, I'm sure. I'm sure next one, in the next couple of years, who knows. But, uh, yeah, definitely one of your low lights. But uh, just remind there is a, has some other, um, actually family theme central. Well, there was a family horror one, I think, which I've got to mention here, which was uh, a bit of a highlight for me, a bit of a quite a smaller title, and that was uh, Megan or Megan, I think that was that came out quite early in the year. Um, it was listed as one of your highlights, one of you guys, James. Uh, yeah, it was Megan, yeah, I think it was yeah. Alfonso, but I did, yeah. Like yeah, yeah, I thought it was Megan, was, was uh, one of my. Of my highlights, I I like how mischievous it is. With uh, the, I, it's it's one of those movies that takes a, a concept of something very uh, innocent like a doll and mixes it, it with a very something very modern and kind of dark in this movie as AI. Uh, I think it was a very intelligent, playful little film that made a lot of money because. The concept was was strong of that mixture of those th two things: a uh, 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 doll that has all these skills of AI and tries to take her sense of being. What they have told her that she has to do that is to love this kid overall. She, she take his to, takes it to the stream and kind of justifies her own existence <laughs> by <laughs> making this her only uh, uh, way um, purpose of living <laughs> but it, it affects everyone else dangerously <laughs> and it was just a I mean I I, I have enjoyed I enjoy this kind of movies with a with a mischievous kind of uh, side to them like May, December, or Solburn, or those films that are just, they know that they are being kind of uh, nasty or, or like, uh, in a sense, but they, 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 they tell you that they are kind of playing with it. They are not taking themselves too seriously, in a sense. So it, it makes it always a little bit more entertaining. And in the sense of, uh, in the case of Megan, I thought it was well played. I thought it was a script well played. I thought it was fun. It had horror elements, but not not too overdone. It had jokes. It had a, a core of of like sentimental. I mean, like feeling. So it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I agree. I, I think it definitely. Uh... A lot of strengths in his online presence and social media clips, definitely of the Megan dance that was uh, 
quite a hot property. I, again, a lot of these films get their word of mouth, the little clip, and then it kind of like just catches fire. Um, certainly this was one of them. And actually, it did deliver on those really uh, watchable clips and a great soundtrack to it as well. I should ch check it out. Um, right. Well, uh, you did mention May, December. Now, that was one of your highlights, Alfonso. Did you yeah. see it? May, December, um, it's, uh, it's, I think it's very interesting because it's like, it, I think in, this, in the script, it could have been a good drama just by reading the script, maybe. Because when I watched it, I was like, why Todd Haynes is doing these things? He has taken a, a normal, well, the, the, the drama, the script, the, the, the point of views, it has different characters and it, it, it gives all their points of view as a, a moment to shine. So the actors are also very well rewarded. It asks a lot of the actors, but it also rewards them with having good moments of dialogue. Each, each actor, even the most supporting ones, have very interesting moments when they reveal their point of view or what they know of the main story, which is this woman who seduced this 13-year-old kid and went to prison for it. But after that, they became a couple and, and, and have a family when the, when the movie starts. And they, their kids are about to graduate high school. So that's when the, the movie begins. And there's an actress oh, from a TV show that is not like one of these HBO TV shows, but like a regular uh, TV show that wants to go into cinema and wants to play this woman who seduced this kid. So that's Natalie Portman trying to go into, the, into this family which is uh, Julian Moore and Charles Melton playing the 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 the, the uh, uh, nowadays versions of this couple that now are like I don't know fifty something and thirty and, and thirty something and wants to learn about this about this woman to play her in the in the movie that this actress is gonna play and uh, and it, and it and it kind of revolutionizes. The whole, the whole dynamic of of the the family, but at the same time, when when you see the how Tom Haynes, the director, is doing the music very very expressively, very loudly for what the kind of story that it is, you kind of feel like and, and the way that the, the the Natalie Portman character is treating this story as a let's say she's at the same time interested she has a, a deep psychology but at the same time super superfluous more hollywood-like behavior and i thought it was like two movies at the same time where one more that's why people don't say don't know if this movie's camp or comedy drama melodrama or something like that but i don't know i thought if you put a good drama and on top of that you add more like playful touches I thought it was just more entertaining. <laughs> At some point, I was like, "You're going too far," but I'm, I'm just, I'm just entertained. So I'm, I'm, I, I, I thought it was, it added, but I w just with a good drama, it would, have, it would have been a good film. But just it, it went a little bit further. Yeah, it's a bit on uh, limited release, I think, everywhere else. I think it will reach us maybe next year. 
and I think in the yeah. UK it's on Sky Cinema. For some uh, reason, because it makes no sense again, that thing was actually selected for the Cannes Festival back in May 2023, and they waited almost a year to release it, release it in <laughs> in which it was in France. But anyway, it, it has been in some cinemas in the UK, but very limited, so not near me. But it's been in in sort of other towns and stuff. And I wasn't; it wasn't really on my radar. And in fact, I kept confusing it with a film, Eileen, as well. And then once I heard the word of mouth on it, and people, a few people had seen it, I was like, I really want to watch this. And everywhere in the world, it's on Netflix. I think, apart from the UK, it's on Sky Cinema, which I don't have. And I'm kind of waiting for like a, a New Year January deal for a pound just to get Sky Cinema to watch it because everything yeah. that I've heard about it is meant to be very good. It's one of the most demanding roles that Natalie Foreman has ever done. And, and, and uh, he, she, it, it's, it's very demanding of the three actors. Of, of, uh, but I, I think they get to show good performances as well. Yes, across the board. Yeah, but uh, definitely worth a catch, I think, uh, whenever it reaches you. Wherever you are, yeah. um, I think another title that uh, actually film that I think generally all of us who'd seen it actually did enjoy, and I was wondering if it was in your top five or whatever. But that was we did speak about recently, and that was Anatomy of a Fall. Um, just quickly, uh, we did talk about this recently, but is, is that one of your highlights of the year, or the, did it get pushed out by other titles? Richard, you you love this, I think. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, sorry, I was uh, laughing of, of a comment from James. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think I've already recommended a thousand times, and I keep recommending recommend, uh, this movie, Anatomy of a Fall. Um, not because it's French, uh, but uh, just because it's a good movie. Um, maybe because it's French. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I, at least, yeah, sometimes we do actually create good stuff. So it's... Uh, and especially actually a movie that actually is known abroad it doesn't happen quite often that uh, we tr- export good movies. Uh, now it's uh, yeah, it's a really well done movie. Uh, uh, we're discussing that with James to say that it's a, a, a courtroom drama, so let's call it this way. Uh, nothing, nothing more, uh, not to spoil anything. Uh, cultural drama, family drama. Uh, that's not spoiler to say, actually, but there is someone who dies in the first five minutes, and then that's it. For two hours and a half, you are on a ride to in a kind of some kind of murder mystery with the focus would be the 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 the, the main uh, uh, um, the main actress, the main uh, female act uh, female character. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think we we should talk more about Anatomy of a Fall. I mean, well, I think I we can say who dies. But I, I, no, no. But it's just <laughs> actually, but we talked about this, and I talked about this personally so many uh, times. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it's gonna be. It's already starting actually to get a lot of rewards in the European continents, and I'm pretty yeah. sure that it, it will do even at least as good as it did in the European continents in American continents. Hopefully, at the Oscars. That's all I can hope, especially for, I was checking her name, especially for Sandra Huller, who is uh, playing the main character. Uh, let's hope actually that she gets an Oscar for what she's done. Uh, I think she completely deserves it. 
I don't know if you're going to get anything else because I also mentioned actually that it's not nominated as an international film feature, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, if they, if he can get a couple of Oscars or Golden Globe or whatever, so it is, uh, it it gets known uh, around the world. That would be amazing to us. She will be probably nominated because it has been a, yeah, it has been a big success. Success and as you say, it it won a, a European Film of the Year. Yeah. And uh, I also I also would like to highlight the character of her son, yeah, uh, played by Milo Machado, because he's like he's uh, this kind of supporting character, but almost uh, protagonist. <laughs> it, it it she she the movie focuses more on her, but it's as much as his movie as it as it is hers in a way. He's there having one of the most, I mean, some of the most emotional scenes. He has even, I would, I would argue he has even a, a bigger conflict than yes. she has throughout the movie. Yes, and, and is, uh, Sandra Huller is a very good actress. And, uh, but she, and it's the, the thing about Sandra Huller is that she, refuses to overplay any of those moments and it's a very interesting and bold choice uh, i think that goes with the actress and also with the character uh, it doesn't give you an advantage for awards I, uh, but but they uh, they awards have been have recognized her i don't know if, how, how far it will take her in the oscars i think it will take her to a nomination at least and it's it's an interesting character uh, to play it like 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 that like not over sentimental. She held her position and and just is there, and that's why also contributes to the to the suspicion of everyone. Like, is she a killer? Is she not a killer? Mm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, the fact actually that she is, like you said, not overacting, whatever is. Uh, I I think by doing that, you almost forget that you are watching an actress playing a role. In my opinion, yeah, anyway, yeah, and that's actually the best compliment I always give to actors and actresses. Actually, sometimes you're actually watching someone who is standing trial. And that's it. That's what you're watching. You're not, not watching a movie at, at at some point. And that's yeah. yeah that's the that's the best yeah. thing you can say. Also, it gives the European kind of flavor. <laughs> it's not like the Hollywood style of like, oh my god, da, 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 da. <laughs> say say this kind of like, yeah, okay, let's answer these questions. I will try to hold to to be my my best self, but I'm a real woman, not a. <laughs> Nor one of these Hollywood characters. I am a European woman living in a, in, I don't know where they live in the the, the Swiss or the, some kind of snowy mountains. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, well, it's some kind in France because the movie discusses that. Um, and uh, it felt very real. Yes, you say it. it, it I, because there are sometimes when you are a fan of a genre, like for example, this kind of murder plus trial and see who was the the killer or yes or no or how it how it went down or what whatever it happened uh you're very used with television because it's a very popular genre 
And I think this kind of touches just give you the, the flavor of being something different, the way they act, the way things happen that made it, yeah, special for me too. Yeah. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Ah, thanks for that. Um, so James, uh, you've, uh, one of your highlights you actually picked up, come to you now. Um, you've picked uh, a few, a few more, more low scale, more we'll like more under the radar for me a bit, but actually, uh, highly recommended by you. Uh, first one is uh, Past Lives, which I think is getting some traction. Uh, James, why is that? Did it reach yeah. highlights of the year? What, what? So, I mean, my, my top 10 actually does have some really well-known things, but probably the top three are all slightly under the radar. But I think Past Lives, it is getting some traction. So it's a drama directed by uh, Celine Song, and it's her first film. Uh, set over 24 years, it's about two childhood sweethearts who lived in South Korea. And when the girl's parents immigrate to America, they lose contact. Twelve years later, the boy tracks the girl Nora down on Facebook and they begin talking and reconnecting sort of in their 20s. They then uh, lose contact again and then he eventually goes to meet her in the US another 12 years later uh, when she's married to an American, uh, a Jewish-American writer. Um, so sort of like Moonlight, it's it's set over quite a long period of time. It's the same actors uh, when they're in their 20s and I suppose early 40s. Um, and I think it's just a very well observed drama. It sort of feels very truthful. Um, the acting is superb, particularly, Gre particularly Greta Lee, who plays Nora um, in her 20s and in her 40s. And I think she really sort of carries the majority of the film. I would be, I think... Often the Oscars don't go for people who are sort of new in the best actress role. Sometimes it's people that they will uh, nominate who've, who've been around for years. But I think she's really fantastic in it. The script is really good. Um, apparently it is based on a lot of Celine Song's own experiences. And it kind of deals with this idea of um, Inyun. And Inyun is the belief that the interactions between two people in this life are owed to their interactions in their past lives, hence the title. So it's the idea that they may have connected in previous existences. But then this goes to her her childhood sweetheart and her husband now. Did, have they interacted in the past? And is there something going on there? Um, it's got wonderful cinematography. It's a very sort of quiet film in a way. Um, there's a song called Quiet Eyes by Sharon Von Etten at the end that plays over the credits, which is a really great song. Um Apparently, the script, much like Martin McDonough, who who wrote The Banshees of Inner and Celine Song says that she does not change a word of the script, so she doesn't let the actors improvise at all. It's like everything is on the page, and she's she's got an exact idea of how she wants this story to go. Um, 
and and that's what what you see in the film. And I think it, it's one of those films where I spent the whole film thinking, I hope when we get to the end of this, they don't, they they go for the more truthful ending. I'll just say that. I hope they go for the more truthful ending, not the kind of sensationalist ending or, or whatever. And then they did that. I got my wish. And I was like, no, no, I want it to be the other way because it's got a real <laughs> kind of stealth ending. But, but even I, I heard people talk about this, but when it, when it, it really has an emotional punch, the end bit. And it kind of sort of comes out of nowhere, but sort of doesn't. Um, but I think it's just a very, very good drama. And I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I just got, like, like someone was saying about a film earlier, I completely believe the characters. Like we were saying about Sandra Huller in uh, Anatomy of a Fall. I didn't really feel like I was watching a film. I felt like I was watching three people's lives over 24 years. And I think that was, it's a really good, good movie. Totally, I, I agree completely. I I I think it's the most the movie that is closest to reality that I've seen the whole year, and I think that's why so many people all over the world are connecting with it because it feels so real, so close to what happens in your life, in so many people's lives. It doesn't. It is not an ambitious film in a sense, but it it builds up and builds up and builds up and it packs a punch in the end. There are a few characters, three characters that are very attuned to their feelings that are, they, uh, in a sense, but it's, it's it really, really without it being very complex or something, but what he wants to do, it does it extremely well. And Celine Song has actually said that this is kind of based around her real life which I think must be quite awkward for the people who presumably know who they are represented in the film. Um, but yeah, it, it does just feel very, very truthful, doesn't it? Like it deals with sort of emotional stuff. And there's a few funny lines in it. There's a line when she talks to her husband about connecting with this childhood sweetheart or childhood friend it is really. Um, and saying that she gives this long speech about how Korean she feels when she speaks to this guy from Korea. And it kind of goes on for so long that it's it's very funny, but um, it yeah, it just feels completely grounded in reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks, James. Um, you also have just saying one thing is that actually that I didn't know anything about this movie until now. I don't know why actually. I completely, I didn't even notice actually that he was nominated for everything. Literally, apparently, yeah, yes, he, he will be nominated for best movie at the Oscars. Yeah. Most Golden Globes. I'm reading best motion picture drama, best picture yep. in English language, best director, best screenplay, best actress in a drama. Yeah, it looks amazing. I'm going to watch it this weekend. Just saying, but I am. I was worried good. though. I didn't. I didn't really realize that. Like I'm always worried when that happens because then there's a lot of expectation. But I think yeah. I, I saw this quite early on. I just seen a trailer. And I thought, oh, that looks interesting and, and went see it. And it, it completely, yeah, it just completely engaged me and I kind of felt sucked into the world by the end of it. Don't, so I thought, don't, sure. don't feel overhyped, Richard, because it, it is a movie that doesn't benefit at all from hype. Because it's kind of, it doesn't, if you're expecting a lot, it will maybe un underwhelm you because it's, it's, I don't know how to say it. But it's not. Like We're basically that. saying we don't we don't want you to be surprised when Vin Diesel turns up and punches someone. <laughs> yeah, in the end, you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. We have spoiled a big yeah. twist, but yeah, it's sometimes twist, yeah, 
Let's <laughs> not use the double F word in this uh, podcast, which is fast and furious and family. I guess I guess there's a triple threat. Well, um, thanks. And there was a couple of other titles you just quickly wanted to mention that was on your yeah. So uh, Roy Lane, uh, I think this year has been a really good year for comedies. We've mentioned Barbie, Bottoms, Joyride, uh, Theater Camp, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, uh, No Hard Feelings, Cocaine Bear, some Otherhood. Maybe even Saltburn. There's been some really good comedies. I think this is my favourite out of the lot just on how laugh out loud it is. Um, directed by Rain Alan Miller, and it's another female directorial debut. Um, and it's set in Peckham, stars David Johnson and Vivio Opara as Dom and Yaz. Um, basically, she discovers uh, him in gender neutral toilets at the start, crying over a breakup. He's been dumped by his best friend. She's left him and gone off with his uh, his best friend, who is uh, not the cleverest of guys, should we say? He's very <laughs> obsessed with how big his arms are, and not there's not too much going on upstairs. Um, she's been dumped by her boyfriend, but he's still got her copy of a Tribe Called Quest's Low End Theory classic hip hop album from 1992 on vinyl, and she wants to get it back, and she wants that copy. And they kind of go around London for the day together trying to uh, sort of get even with their exes or get revenge or or just have one-upmanship to an extent. Um, and, yeah, it's just a very funny, sweet film. It's under 90 minutes, I think. Um, and it, it's got a really sharp script. I think Vivian O'Para is really, really great. I mean, uh, David Johnson is as well, but I think she kind of steals the show. There's a really funny scene at a family house party with EastEnders, Gary Beadle, and the real McCoys, uh, Luella Gideon, if you remember that show from, from the 90s. And Taskmaster's Munya Chihuahua also turns up in a cameo. There is another cameo which people constantly spoil. I'm not going to spoil what it is, but it's very funny when it happens, and it's sort of a joke in, in of itself. But if you like that kind of quirky British humour of sort of sex education and things, I think you'll probably like this, and it's on Disney Plus at the moment. Nice. But nobody else has seen it apart from me, right? <laughs> I mean... It's so many people's best of 2023. Oh, really? So. Oh, good. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's it's just a good film, yeah. Right. Uh, well, you did mention uh, sex education there. Uh, and for, I think it had its final season. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Richard, this tended a bit of a no night for you, uh, considering quite yeah. high is that you've praised this series before. What did you think of yes, this? Exactly. Yeah, in previous podcasts, etc., in the last few years, I've been saying several times that I love this show. Uh, I thought actually that the first couple of seasons were uh, per perhaps the best thing I've seen in the coming-of-age genre. Uh, honestly, I think it, yeah, it was explaining issues that a lot of teenagers are going through. It was explaining, but not like um, it's like show don't tell and not the other way around. It was very well done. Um, the, the stories of the three main characters were very interesting in the first couple of seasons. Each one of them has a different path, but also what connects them, what makes them different from one to another. Uh, the message overall of the show, uh, uh, the open-mindedness, the, the tolerance, um, and I said, uh, understanding puberty literally but it's not uh, something to to be afraid of but just to accept and uh, no it, it's it's a really well done show for, for as it for the first few seasons 
in my opinion, unfortunately, since the last few episodes of season three, especially season four, uh, there's definitely uh, they're, they're dropping the ball. I was saying because I think that I don't know if there is like a a a a problem between the creator and uh, Netflix on how to sort out the ending of the show. Uh, it does happen quite often when when a studio or and uh, the writer creator actually doesn't don't agree on when and how to end a TV show. And I think it shows it shows definitely that this show should have ended at the end of the first season. There was the perfect way to end all story arcs and they didn't. For some reason they created out of nowhere cliffhangers. And uh, obviously they were kind of at the beginning of this season they were kind of in the in a very difficult situation. Uh, one, because these cliffhangers kind of made no sense. And also um, because a lot of actors and actresses of the main cast didn't want to have anything to do with sex education anymore, let's face it. Um, especially the three of main, I mean, two out of three of main uh, actors. Um, so, yeah. And the main problem of the show overall as seasons were coming every couple of years is that actually they were having a cast of thousand names. I mean, at first it was like five, six names and then you have 10 names. And then in the season four, you have, I don't know, 20 main characters or something like that. And obviously you cannot give uh, a screen time for everyone. And that's that definitely showed, um, yes, a lot of issues in this season four. Uh, out of all of this, there's some good news. Um, we were talk talking about this. Uh, James is a big fan of Doctor Who. We were saying actually that, uh, um, and Kutigatwa, is that his name? Uh, for uh, is one of the three main characters, three main actors, and playing one of the main characters is uh, the new Doctor Who, and good for him. I mean, he's an amazing actor. His character arc was probably the main. My main interest in season four. Uh, this show was very good for the first few seasons, and he had a great potential, and I recommend it. But uh, expect to be disappointed by the ending. Hmm. Okay, well, it's a shame. But let's uh, get a good segue. Speaking out of a breakout role, um, Itigawa, of course, uh, did make his appearance as Doctor Who uh, this year, also. Um, James, you watched his debut Soul episode, I guess, which was a Christmas special and the lead up to it. Uh, how did he perform as our new Doctor? Um, a highlight or a low light for you? Yeah, very, very much a highlight. I've really enjoyed the the three specials and the Christmas special. Quite a way to uh, series one or the first full series, but um, in May, sure it'll fly by. Um, I, I so I've watched a lot of series one of sex education but not not late series and it's just something i ha i haven't got around to i really liked him as eric in sex education but to be honest when that casting was announced I i've always learned to be a little bit skeptical because you don't really know until you see them as the doctor i think whichever actor it is you never really know if it's gonna gonna work or not and i knew he wasn't gonna do it as eric i knew it was gonna be something else and that's the only thing i've really seen him in or the only thing i'd seen him in prior um, and when he makes an appearance in the final 60th special, 
within three lines of dialogue, I believe that he's the doctor. He has this air of, of authority to him. Um, he sort of owns the, the presence he has is sort of like really commanding. He owns the scene. Just having that moustache makes him seem so much older and wiser than Eric. Um, and then you get to this this Christmas special. And I think, as with all of Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who, um, the most important thing almost is the chemistry between the two leads. And here you've got Millie Gibson, who is an actress from Coronation Street I wasn't familiar with. Um, and the chemistry between her and Shooty Gatwa, straight away, you kind of believe. There's always this thing in Doctor Who, I think, when it works, when they're sort of almost like a couple, but they're not. And and his first scene is him, because Shooty Gatwa's scottish or part scottish he's he's dancing in a kilt to a drum and bass song and she just looks in awe of him and there's just this really nice little bonding thing at the start and it's quite it's got sort of like a cheekiness to it i think the christmas special that it's got um it's got these goblins in it bursts into song in a mo it, just for a few moments it sort of becomes a musical and i was aware when they did it i was like this is a bit weird but it's fine it kind of works it and was like odd that that movie of Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie, Lab Labyrinth. Labyrinth, it, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. And I think that the Christmas specials have always got a slightly different tone. They haven't done them for a few years either, but they've always got a slightly different tone to the rest of the series. I mean, actually, every episode of the series often has a different tone. But the fact that they could do that, and I did see in the making of it, they were saying, if that was the Daleks and it burst into song, that would be weird. But it kind of works because it's already kind of a really odd sort of heightened reality but i think it really mixed the domestic with the alien stuff quite well there is a so ruby sunday the character played by millie gibson has been left at an orphanage or left at a church when she was a baby and shooty gat was doctor has seen the mother walk off we don't know the identity of the mother or, or if we're going to revisit that at this point I, th I feel like we're going to it maybe at the end of season one or maybe that's going to be her whole character arc but I think it's worked really well and it's made me quite excited for the new new series of Doctor Who and I like it when you've got that smaller TARDIS team of just just the two people but yeah I'm I'm on board for it mm, thanks okay then um right as we're in a science fiction genre or field um, I think uh and also another series on Disney plus which came to an end I hope it did I think I'm sure it is. This was actually uh, Loki, which um, second season, and I think came to a very good conclusion. Um, Richard, I think this was actually one of your highlights. Uh, yeah. Uh, Loki season two. Um, yeah. So this is going to be much more shorter review because I don't want to spoil anything. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I wanted to mention Loki only of the two last episodes <laughs> because i admit i just had, have to admit it that actually the second season is not perfect far from it the first season was much better it was much consistent and every episode was amazing the second season is as a very what's the word convoluted plot is that it's a very complicated story to follow in the first few episodes and i almost gave up and then the well I was about to say the two-part series finale, but especially the series finale gave me hope again in the, <laughs> in the in the in the superhero genre almost. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm gonna repeat myself. It's gonna be, it's kind of the same reason why I like it. It's kind of the same reason why I like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the fact that uh, the guy who created the Loki TV show kind of knew what he was doing, apparently, knew the character, knew understand where he was coming from almost more than 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, and uh, how to create a real story arc. With beginning a middle and end, I know it sounds pretty dumb to say that, but again, it's something that Disney has forgotten. And uh, he, but yeah, it was good to see the character of Loki that we met first as uh, this evil brother of four, as I said, twelve years ago, and going through so much. And uh, now he's not only. Uh, well, is not only uh, has only became a real villain for the All Avengers, but also went through a lot of such stuff on his on a personal level, and um, and in somehow that season, the end of the second season, the end of hopefully Loki TV show, kind of combined the two, kind of combine the uh, end of his personal path and also of his more. Of his bigger destiny, let's say, in the MCU. We're not going to go again into spoilers, but uh, yeah, I mean, Loki, in the end, Loki, when you think about it, in the last few years, has been perhaps the most important TV show of the MCU in regards to the consequences of what happens in this TV show on consequences on other projects or on other storylines. That was the, at least the idea. I'm not sure, but Disney hasn't forgotten about that. But yeah, it, it, it yeah, it is definitely for me the, yeah, the the base of uh, the whole MCU, uh, yes. this TV show, uh, in terms of quality and in terms of what happens in there. Um, uh, again, I'm trying to think if I can say more without going to spoilers. Um, well, um, I think uh, Loki's been a important glue in the MCU, as in trying to pull all these threads of narrative or over arc into some kind of cohesive whole. So it had a lot of load bearing to do um, this series. and uh, But uh, it does end in a very good place. One of the best endings for a character, yeah. as you mentioned before, a beginning, middle and end. And I think this is definitely served its purpose. Um, so as you said, I would uh, agree with you. It's probably worth watching the whole thing just to see these the last two episodes because yeah. it's it, it's magnificently done strange as it is it it's watch both season for what comes at the end but that wasn't the only uh marvel um series um on disney i think another one made its debut um that was secret invasion uh this is uh, samuel jackson again as nick fury again picking up a character and his arc in a TV series of his own. Now, how do you th what did you think of this one, Richard? Because you saw this. And can, can I just say, Richard, it's a shame, podcast listeners, because Richard's review is just his face at the moment. It says, everything, <laughs> it says everything I need to know, but he's now going to express that in verbal form, yeah, yeah. and I can't yeah. wait. I'm going to try. Lots of... I suspect uh, this was a low light for many people, yes. and including you. Uh, I I think it was a low light for everyone to be honest. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so Secret Invasion. Uh, yeah, what can I say about Secret Invasion? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the opening credits is really good. Uh, I mean, the, the, <laughs> that that was the main thing about this thing. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, and it, and they were kind of like there was a uh, because they were made by AI, so the people ah, were really? yeah okay. yeah yeah. Even they were critical of them, uh, but you know, I mean, the TV show itself. Uh, it doesn't matter if you know the story from the comics or not. If you, well, yes, in a way, yes, you do because I know I, I read the graphic novel, and obviously, it's very different from the graphic novel. But that's fine. I mean, you can do whatever you want in adaptation. It doesn't have to be loyal to the source material, but it's just yeah. <laughs> There's so many things that went wrong in this show. That's crazy. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever uh, w within the MCU as well. Um, I don't know where to start, to be honest. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a tricky yeah. one because it's um, it, it seems quite... We're veering back into the spy thriller and a lot of strengths. Certainly if you saw uh, Civil War, essentially Nick Fury and Samuel Jackson, of course, leads this series. It is a very um, but he's tired. start, he's, and of course, he, it has a great pedigree from the comics because it's actually quite a long-running miniseries. It, basically, it is a kind of like who could be a secret scroll. They, they, they didn't do it right. I mean, yeah, that was the point of the graphic novel that actually about to 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 be like it's kind of fun for the reader back then to wonder, wow, one of my heroes actually has been actually the villain all this time. What's great, but unfortunately for them. At the the moment when this TV show was released, they didn't have many big names left in the MCU, and also they didn't have many big big names want to sign up to be part of the Secret Invasion TV show. So in the end, the reveals of some of the names I will not get into spoilers for whoever wants to watch this thing one day. The big reveals of basically like one maybe uh, or two who actually are characters who have been around for a very long time who actually was scrolls all this time actually i couldn't care less i couldn't care less seriously um it doesn't make sense again that there was scrolls back in the day by the way these characters um and uh, there was so much potential but me that's the reason why i put in my low light there was so much potential in this show because they were talking about real issues they could have actually done something a bit like the Falcon and Winter Soldier when actually they used a superhero story and talk about real stuff in the real world. Here, in that case, they would... I mean, that's crazy. They were trying to talk about immigration and uh, about uh, people coming from literally another planet, in that case, uh, living on Earth, and will we accept them, etc.? And uh, do we have to find them another place to live, or can they live with us, etc.? Obviously, you just have to watch five seconds of politics of any country in the world right now, and you will see how relevant this uh, this storyline is. And they didn't do it justice, in my opinion. They didn't do a good job at all, uh, because they tried at some point at the beginning, and then it went all action movie, superhero, superpowers, all the BS that actually you can see in any superhero TV show and movie, and they completely forgot about what mattered, in my opinion. Um, 
again, I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but there is one character who got super, super, super powerful in this show, and it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> but this power, this character even exists because if she exists from now on, then I mean the MCU should end tomorrow or should be rewritten. I don't know. I mean that makes no sense. I mean, yeah. And the, I think I don't know if it's at the very very end, the last five minutes, but actually you have some scene about uh, uh, again trying to avoid spoilers, but there's a five minute scene at the end of the show about the acceptation, about integration of uh, of. In that case, aliens, but immigrants in the real world, but aliens, and how actually uh, people might react when they found out actually that they too too many immigrants in the country, or people actually extremists who actually react like that. And again, there was so much you could have done better than just a five minute scene that will have no consequence and no follow up. Uh, I think it's a disservice to all the crows that are living in our society. I mean, I, we we are uh, once they reveal to the, to to ourselves to to we uh, <laughs> once once we know all the crews that we have been living with, they will say that it was not a very good series. Should we tell Richard now that the three of us are crows? No, exactly. no, no. Wait, wait time. until the <laughs> end. Wait until the end. Yeah, but it is. <laughs> it is. But you're right, Richard. I think it did fumble. I think a lot of. It, Promising things, but a very disappointing uh, ending. I mean, conversely to Loki, ironically now, um, a, a great. I mean, it just did go rely on 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 endings that were very very cliche and so over the top. They just negated everything that was done before, but um, and, and very odd solutions and motivations in them scrolls trying to have a place for themselves but at the expense of the entire planet it, it was a bit silly a shame so yeah deservedly a definitely a low line yeah. catch part two of this film and tv 2023 review special available at film and tv or you can listen on spotify apple itunes amazon music and other podcast providers We hope you enjoyed this film and TV review.com episode. Catch the latest film and TV reviews, together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week. See you soon. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today.